Well, greetings and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and uh, you're coming to us from the studios of the Coming Home Network International. And uh, I've got as a guest today a recent guest on the journey home, Mike Peters. Hello, Mike. Hi. How you doing? Good. Mike's joining us from from Florida, and uh, it's great to have you on the on the radio. And uh, uh, I what I'd like to do, Mike. I don't know if you've listened to any of the deep in scriptures. Uh, uh, I try not yes. to pull any punches. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And I, it's just good to have you on the program. And I, one of the reasons that for many years we've done this program is to, is on the one hand, of course, to, to demonstrate our love for the word, um, and recognizing what a great gift it is. Uh, even in the verse you talked about today, the written, the written aspect of, of what we've received, uh, and how important that is as a witness throughout all. So we want to affirm that, but we also want to kind of talk about our background and, and, and recognize that there are ways uh, that the scripture alone, particularly, doesn't always give us a clear understanding of the scriptures, um, mm-hmm. and so how important it is to look at scripture through the eyes of the church. And so, it, it's possible that the, the audience today isn't familiar with your background. They may not have heard the Journey Home program that you were on just this last June. But you know, I was thinking maybe. Uh, before we jump into the scripture, just give them a, a little summary of where you came from. Sure, sure. I grew up in the Episcopalian Church, but it wasn't until I was in college that I had a really life-changing encounter, adult conversion, and went to graduate school down uh, in North Carolina at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And there I got really involved with campus ministries as a student leader, uh, even post-graduation, and spent eight years as a full-time minister, uh, five years at UNC Chapel Hill and three years at Duke University. So during that time, I also finished a master's degree at Reformed Theological Seminary. I was involved with more non-denominational charismatic churches, but our pastor had gone to Reformed Theological Seminary. Our, you know, The head of our movement of churches uh, was also a graduate of, of RTS. And so I, uh, I went and really enjoyed my time there. They have a deep love for Scripture. They taught me to, uh, of course, love God's Word, and uh, I had a great experience there. But after I'd been a minister for about four years, a dear friend of mine who had grown up Catholic was about to be received back into the Catholic Church. And I'll be honest, I thought he was crazy just because <laughs> I viewed all my early background as sort of dead religion, as as uh, you know, hearing the liturgy, hearing the Scriptures, but not having a life-transforming you know, encounter with the Lord. And so I set out because I love this brother and I set out to, to win him back. So I gave him a stack of books and to my eternal gratitude, I took his uh, stack of books and, and, uh, and said, yeah, I'll read these for sure. And thought I could easily point out the errors in, in Catholic doctrines, just because of a lot of the misunderstandings I had, a lot of things that, uh, that I'd been teaching, you know, based on what I'd heard from others. But the, uh, the two books that I want to focus on Today, or the one book I really want to focus on today is is what so, how the Catechism elaborates on some of the the uh, you know verses, the verse that we'll talk about, as well yeah. as you know a commitment to studying you know not only sacred Scripture but also the Catechism as a real powerful means of understanding the the, the teachings of the Church. So he gave me a Catechism, even wrote a note on the inside cover, and you know said he was anxiously awaiting my return home and or my coming home, I believe he said, and so. It was a five-year journey, and I ended up uh, reading about 200 books uh, through that process. And, uh, you know, it took a bit to convince me, but 
after uh, after five years, I had to resign, you know, my ministry. And I've, you know, been so grateful to be a Catholic. My wife and children were just received into the church just this year. So it's been, a, you know, the Lord has really blessed our family. And the second book that he gave me was a big giant book called Not by Scripture Alone. And in that book, he pointed out the verse that I want to talk about today. One of the authors pointed out 2 Thessalonians 2.15, which says, mm-hmm. So then, brethren, uh, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. And that's in the Revised Standard, but in the New American uh, Bible, it says, Therefore, brothers, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught, either by an oral, oral statement or by a letter of ours. And when I read that, I was thinking, that doesn't sound that familiar. And I flipped back to the New <laughs> International Version of the uh, Bible that I read on campus. And the translators of the NIV Bible, a very popular Bible in Protestant circles, actually changed that word, the Greek word mm-hmm. for traditions. They changed it to teachings. Now, the footnote does indicate that that it could be translated as traditions. But the majority of people reading the scriptures, not knowing the, you know, the Greek and not maybe following along the footnotes are missing that. And, and the funny thing about the NIV, as this book pointed out, and it was it was in an article written by a graduate of uh, Westminster Theological Seminary, one of the bastions of Reformed theo- yep. theology. And he had pointed out that uh, a Reformed scholar wrote an article saying that the NIV purposely de-Catholicizes scripture. And they do that by the 13 instances of the Greek word for tradition the 10 negative instances, which we all condemned, you know, we all were against traditions of men that nullify the word of God. We pointed to passages like uh, Mark 7 and Matthew 15 are all faithfully translated traditions. But when the exact same Greek word is used to, uh, in a positive sense, which it is three different times in the New Testament, the translators deliberately choose the word uh, teachings. And again, so you're, you're trying to convey the, the, the idea that you know, tradition is bad, and when you come across a, a positive use of it, it, uh, you know, will we'll change it to teachings. And so <laughs> I do like the uh, the second, uh, the New American um, Bible, how it translates, where it talks about oral statement, because many many of our separated brethren, you know, think of, of tradition as, you know, the, you've heard the, probably other guests have shared, but, uh, you know, a 2,000-year-old telephone game where it's passed yeah. from from one person to the next, and it's a you know a funny illustration because the message can really get garbled and and uh, in that sort of game, but it's not that the, the tradition of the church was a visible, was a public thing. It was a living tradition, and I think uh, again I, I love reading the catechism. I love reading scripture. Uh, one of the things that has helped me the most is uh, something put out by the the Coming Home Network is is the Bible and the Catechism in a year. I had a deep love for scripture. Uh, when I shared on the, the journey home, I've, I've actually read, you know, cover to cover the entire Bible uh, close to 50 times by now. I started this when I was a Protestant, even before I became a minister, and I've been doing that about two times a year since the mid-1990s. So I love God's Word, and I used the Bible in a year, the first year and the second year, and then I was deriving so much benefit from that, I started reading the Scriptures twice a year uh, in the mid-1990s. And uh, when I got the... Uh, the Bible and a Catechism in a Year from the Coming Home Network, it was great because I could not only read from scriptures, but I could read along with that and read the Catechism. And the Catechism is such a powerful, yeah. uh, you know, teaching and, and, you know, showing of the truth. In fact, I love what Pope St. John Paul II says in his Apostolic Constitution to introduce the Catechism. 
He says a catechism should faithfully and systematically present the teaching of sacred scripture, the living tradition of the church, and the authentic magisterium, as well as the spiritual heritage of the fathers, doctors, and saints of the church, you know, to allow for a better understanding of the Christian mystery and for enlivening the people of God. And that's really what, what this three-legged stool, I love that uh, mm -hmm. paragraph in the catechism that, that kind of sums up the three legs of the stool that are all essential. A later paragraph, paragraph 95, says it's clear that in the supremely wise arrangement of God, sacred tradition, sacred scripture, and the magisterium of the church are so connected and associated that one of them cannot stand without the others. Working together each in its own way under the action of the one Holy Spirit, they all contribute effectively to the salvation of souls. And I love that, that image of the yeah. three-legged stool because if any one of those is, is missing, then we're going to have, um, you know, the stool will collapse, it will fall over. Yeah. And that's why they have to work together. And it's, it's uh, you know, tradition is not, again, that secret passed along oral thing. It's not, you know, popes and bishops coming up with doctrines 1,800 years later. It, it, sacred tradition has to be apostolic, of course. It has to be passed down from the apostles. And it's something that was very visible and very plain. And so in Second uh, Th Thessalonians, there's, there's two things I want to focus on. Well, you before you go there, the whole, okay. Mike. Why don't you just, just sure. pause there for a second? Uh, hold that because I want to go there. I just had a couple other questions just to back up a little bit before moving there because what you're saying is awesome, and uh, and and I really do appreciate it. But a couple of things crossed my mind then as you're as you're going now into the things you want to share. Um, first of all, we, you recognize that the that scholar had identified that the NIV had purposefully, the committee that put that together, purposely de-Catholicized Scripture by this particular word, tradition. Um, and when, when there was a passage that had, I think it's paradoxa, isn't that the, the word? I forget what it is. I've got mm -hmm. the Greek over here. That when it was in a, a verse that was intended to encourage people, um, to challenge people, to hold on to, what they had learned before, then they would use the word teaching. Now, as you go back, you went to a reform seminary, mm -hmm. um, a couple of reform seminaries. And of course, you went to Duke, which is, if I remember right, a Methodist seminary. Um, that what's interesting is in your background, talk a little bit about why um, the idea of tradition was such a bugaboo for your groups before, I'd almost say your traditions before, because it, it seems, uh, and I might be saying something obvious to the listeners, but just talk about it, that obviously uh, sometimes people would want to go to the Reformed Seminary, but not the Baptist Seminary down the road or the Pentecostal Seminary down the road, and yet you don't want to talk about traditions. It would seem like it's just right in your face that what divides you all was mm -hmm. traditions. Mm -hmm. I heard uh, Father Ray Ryland one time say he met a Baptist preacher who said, you know, we don't have traditions in the Baptist uh, world. We just have a certain way of doing things. And so it was a funny way of, of conveying that. Actually, I didn't uh, just declare I didn't actually graduate from Duke. My wife is a Duke graduate, but oh, okay. uh, I, gotcha. I did share on the journey home. I had uh, used their divinity school extensively at one point over the summer break. When a lot of the students were gone, I had 60 plus books, 63 books checked out at the same time as I was kind of reading my way into the church. So 
I feel like I could have yeah. earned a degree there, but uh, Reformed Theological Seminary was was uh, was actually yeah. where I finished up. And uh, one of my my professors actually was was helping with the translation of another popular translation called the New Living Translation, uh -huh. which also uses the word teachings instead of traditions there. And I respected him. I respected the teachers that I had and the teachings that, that I had received from these people. And so, you know, I, I loved what I was learning about God's word. So many times we just, you know, OK, if, if he was helping translate, he had such a passion for God's word. Um, surely these are good, faithful translations to trust in. And so, but you're right, it, it was conveying a certain mentality, a, you know, a way of seeing things. And, and the Reform Scholar, in Not by Scripture Alone, was critical of that. He said, you know, God's Word should not be de-Catholicized, you know, just to right. avoid offending people in North America. Uh, we need to be faithful to God's Word. And, you know, if you want to try to explain it away in, in the, a note in the study Bible or in a book of theology, that's one thing. But to actually, you know, put it in the translation teachings instead of instead of the word traditions shows a, a bit of a bias. And, you know. and what it does, it connects to a, a very long-standing battle between Catholics and non-Catholics that goes back all the way back several hundred years, and it's the issue of authority. If you read the biographies of John Henry Cardinal Newman or Father Ronald Knox or Hugh Benson or all of these uh, clergy converts from over 100 years ago, um, and you recognize that the issue was authority. And it's a bit embarrassing, I think, uh, for, and I look back myself when I was a Presbyterian pastor for 10 years, that it, it for some reason, it didn't cross my mind that what divided me from the Baptist across the street or the Methodist or the Pentecostal or the health and wealth gospel or the, you name it, was our traditions. That's what divided us. It wasn't the scriptures. It was the way we interpreted scripture. But then when as soon as we hold to a certain interpretation of a scripture, for example, Pentecostals, you've got to speak in tongues or you can't be saved. That's a tradition. And the problem, I think, and I don't know if you thought of how you feel about this, Mike, but the problem with as soon as you raise the ugly head of the issue of authority amongst non-Catholic Christians is eventually they have to be confronted with the fact that this tradition that I'm holding to doesn't go back very far. Yes. You know, there's the problem. So as soon as you you want to push the envelope on authority behind the tradition that you hold, it doesn't go back very far, which to me explains why a committee would say, you know, in this case, let's don't use tradition. Let's use teaching That's because true. we can maybe defend that a little easier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So well, that, uh... the, 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 so there's I think that's a conundrum. And mm -hmm. and the and I was also going to say that you were kind of being apologetic or maybe even a little sheepish about the fact that you read two hundred and some books, you know, uh, you know, God bless you, my friend, because what that tells me is that you wanted to be sure, and when you come from a reform position, a very big part of reform tradition is mm -hmm. about being sure, being certain, being bold, because the Calvinist 
doctrines uh, are a bit bold compared to the Arminian doctrines down the street. So you need to know for sure. In the Coming Home Network, we've often divided up the people who come to us at different stages of their journey. The first part is the inquiry stage where people are just kind of asking questions and they're not, their lives haven't been changed or their opinions haven't been changed. But then as a result of reading, they get into the journey stage and that is where because of what they've learned, they'll never be the same. It doesn't mean they're going to become Catholic, but they'll never think the same about a scripture or about a doctrine or about the issue of authority or tradition. And then if you keep studying, because the Spirit's guiding you, get into what we call the no man's land, and that is where you're absolutely, yeah, this stuff is true, but now what am I going to do? And <laughs> often that's when the people like yourself are reading as many books as you can because you want you want to find the book that's going to convince you you're in the wrong place, that you're going in the wrong direction. And and then, of course, the RCIA is the next stage, if you will. But <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? A lot of people did that because it is a big issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The other, you, the other thing I'd like to, uh, if it's okay, just talk about in Second Thessalonians. Yeah. We, we often, especially in an apologetic context, focus on, you know, the traditions and the difference between that and teachings and other things. Uh, but also I want to emphasize, you know, that one of the best ways we can show others the, the beauty and the glory of the Catholic Church is by loving sacred scripture and helping you know, our Catholic brothers to love God's word. Right. And so we don't want to focus just focusing so much on the apologetic side of this verse. But, you know, they were to hold fast also and to stand firm also on the things that that St. Paul had conveyed in his letters. And so I think a love for God's Word, a commitment to study God's Word, would probably be the best, best way we can show others that the Catholic Church does love, does love Scripture. And it's not just, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I heard from former Catholics as I was approaching the church that all they were taught was traditions. They never heard the Bible. All they were taught was the ideas of men and, you know, I, I shared on the journey home, I shared with them, well, you know, of course... Mass is saturated with Scripture. You have an Old Testament reading, you pray a psalm, you have an epistle, you have a New Testament reading. And then I, I quoted the, the paragraphs in the Catechism, which to this day still remain my, my favorite three. It's, it's 131 through 133. I won't, I won't quote them all today. But the Church is very strong you know, about the force and the power of God's Word, how it can be our support and our vigor, and it can it be strength for our faith and food for our soul and a pure and lasting fount of the spiritual life. And then it talks about how Scripture has to be uh, the very soul of sacred theology, and it has to be in catechetics and all forms of Christian instruction. And as you're reading through the catechism, it's great because many new Catholics have to develop a new theological vocabulary, look up different words, but the opening paragraphs of the, of the catechism describe how catechesis is really just the efforts to make disciples, which really resonated with me as, as an evangelical, as I'm reading about what catechesis is and how, how the, the word is taught, uh, I really resonate with that. But, and then the church, again, forcefully and specifically exhorts all the Christian faithful to learn the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ by frequent reading of the divine scriptures. And when one of my most anti-Catholic friends was confronting me about his traditions that he heard and never hearing the Bible, thankfully I had memorized these, these verses in the catechism. And so I was able to point out to him no, here, this is the official teaching of the church. I don't know what kind of experience you had. I'm having a great experience at St. Joseph's here in Jacksonville, but 
I don't know what it was like for you up in Virginia. I just know this is what the church officially teaches. And then he could say, well, Catholics don't really do that or they don't really put it into practice. You know, he came back with different things. But, you know, the church is very, very strong about teaching us to love God's word. <laughs> and one of the, the passages, if I could choose a second verse to focus on or a, a parallel sure. passage uh, from Second Timothy three where it says that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And I love that because the Catechism teaches in paragraph 107 that the inspired books teach the truth, and we know it's, it's God's Word to mm -hmm. us. And it helps us in those those four ways. It helps to teach us how to, how to live right. It corrects us when we're going off the path. Uh, it trains us in how to live a righteous life. And of course, uh, some of our separated brethren point to this and try to claim that, that this verse supports sola scriptura. And of course, it does not. You could get right. into a much more detailed argument. But as Catholics, we need to love a verse like this and say, this is why we love sacred scripture. And I found that, you know, I, I talk off and on about disciplines and different things. You know, I found that we're really going to be drawn to God's word when we have a real desire to, to know him better. And to be in that intimate relationship with him. In fact, if, if you look at another of my favorite paragraphs in the Catechism, paragraph 81, it says, uh, Sacred Scripture is the speech of God as it is put down in writing under the breath of the Holy Spirit. And if we can view God's Word as, as him speaking to us in writing as, it, as it's put down under the breath of the Holy Spirit, and if you kind of pair that up with 2 Timothy 3, where it says that, that Scripture is inspired by God, the literal translation of that would be God-breathed, as you know, a note in the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible says, and I'd heard before as well, that it literally means God breathes out His Word. And if we can view God's Word in that way, not as a, a dry, dusty book or something that we you know, ought to do or feel like we, we should do, but just to really see it as God's Word to us, and I, I love how Revelation is described, and uh, I think we did a Bible study years ago on the book of Revelation and looking at how, you know, what that word literally means. It literally means an unveiling as a, you know, as a bride unveils herself for the bridegroom. And so when God reveals himself to us through his word and also through, you know, sacred tradition and all that is supported by the magisterium of the church, it's that kind of intimate relationship with him. And, and uh, one of my favorite books about us reading scripture, which we might talk about at the very end if we have time, but uh, Dr. Tim Gray has an amazing book uh, about, about reading sacred scripture. And, and uh, it's, uh, I think it's called Praying Scripture for a Change. Uh -huh. And it's, you know, I believe it probably has a dual meaning. You pray scripture for a change <laughs> if you haven't been doing that, but also let's pray for a transformation because one of the things that he talks about throughout the book is is this idea of like Romans 12, that we need to renew our minds and to be transformed yeah. by the renewing of our minds. And it's uh, subtitled an introduction to Lectio Divina, which I you know, might talk about at the end, but it's amazing. But in the opening chapters of the book, Dr. Gray says that we should view scripture as God's love letter to humanity. And he talked about when he was courting his wife, they had a long distance courtship, and he, you know, this was back in the days of, you know, actual letters and emails weren't around at that time. But when a letter came in the mail, he wouldn't just set it on the coffee table and say, well, I'll get to that Sunday morning. You know, I'll, I'll wait for that in five or six days. 
No, he would eagerly open the letter and, and devour the contents and reread it and savor it. And really, um, that you know, you can probably see where I'm going with this yeah. about God's word. We can't just wait for for mass on Sunday morning. You know, we're going to hear scripture there, but if we can view God's word as as that life transforming encounter with Him, where where He speaks to us, many of us wonder, well, I never hear God speak to me. I want God to speak to me. Well, we need to open up the scriptures because God speaks to us through His words. And it's a powerful word. It's God breathed and it's inspired. And of course it teaches, yep. teaches yep. the truth. You know, I've got a, on my a library, a book that contains the conversion stories of 20 nuns that left the Catholic church to become Protestant. And when you read their stories and, and if you give them benefit of the doubt and you, and you believe they're true, that these, that they're honest and telling their stories, almost all of them, basically say that the reason that they left the Catholic Church to seek Jesus elsewhere was because somebody in their life gave them a Bible. And and so someone took them to a verse, and then another verse did the Roman road or did some of these things, and then they were awakened to a faith in Christ that, for whatever reason, they didn't have before. Now, again, I'm, I'm not going to question the authenticity or the validity of their statement, but Many would argue, well, wait a second, we Catholics, you know, we a, a nun reads the daily office four, five, six, seven times a day, depending on what hour of the day it is, mass every day, There's there, our lives are overflowing with Scripture. How could this possibly be true? And I would say, and I've been thinking about, I've been working on an article, I don't know that it will ever make the light of day, but there's a Scripture, for example, that and I mentioned this to you when we were preparing for the program, Mike. From well, we'll tell you where it's from, and it's a verse that I think speaks right directly to what needs to happen in this time right now in the church. You know, since we have these promises, and if you wait, if you will, Mike, that means the teachings, the traditions. Mm-hmm. Since we have these, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. And make holiness perfect in the fear of God. I mean that that is so important. And but what I'm saying is, there is an example of a scripture that describes exactly what needs to happen. And I would ask the audience, where is it? Where is it from? And I can guarantee every Catholic listening has heard that verse at least once a year in Mass. And every priest, bishop, cardinal, pope religious, has read that verse at least once, if not a couple times during this year in the Liturgy of the Hours or in the lectionary. But where is it? Where would you find it? Now, you could cheat and Google, but the point is that I believe that reading the Scriptures from the Bible in the context in which the Holy Spirit gave it is much more powerful and life-changing than reading it in the lectionary or Liturgy of the Hours where a liturgist has put them in a place that kind of makes sense liturgically. And it's out of the context, and then you can't remember where it was. And I wonder if, Mike, it doesn't carry the same sense of authority that it does when you're reading it from the Scriptures. At least that's when my, maybe it's my evangelical background 
Uh, well, it's great when you read that verse, like from Second Timothy earlier. If you read the whole, you're reading the whole letter. You're not just pulling that out of context. You're seeing how you know Saint Paul is addressing young Bishop Timothy, and he's you know these are part of the pastoral letters. So you have um, you have many authoritative instructions, and and you can see. You, know, you don't see it directly in Second Thessalonians two fifteen, but that that apostolic authority, you know, it's coming from Saint Paul. So we have to, yeah. you know, we have to hold that third leg of the stool, is the the magisterium of the church, which doesn't um, lord it over God's word, but you know, faithfully interprets God's word and you know guards the truth. That's something that the Catechism mentions again and again about the role of the church in guarding and maintaining and upholding the truth. You know, of course. A verse probably quoted a lot on this show and others is is First Timothy three verse fifteen, where you know not yeah. the Bible, but the church is referred to as as the pillar and the bulwark of the truth, and the church is you know the family of God, the family of God, the church can maintain and uphold the truth. That's the the one verse as a Protestant minister that I could never adequately explain. We talked about it sometimes, but. We didn't focus on practically how the church could function as a pillar and a supporter, a bulwark of the truth. Yep. And thankfully, God has given us leaders in the church, and yep. we don't have to rely on our own resources or our own private interpretations. In fact, you know, as Second Peter says, you know, no, no scripture should be a matter of one's own interpretation. But um, you know, of course, God reveals yep. things to the leaders and and to the church. And that's a, that's a tremendous blessing to know that that uh, you know we our leaders can sometimes be weak. You know they may not always mm-hmm. set the best example, but they uh, they have a gift, a charism to to maintain and uphold and guard the truth. And thankfully, they they have uh, done that for two thousand years. The church. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, earlier that old uh, uh, you know that little exercise that we were all taught in school about the telephone game and you know that that cuts both ways because a person could use that to criticize the catholic tradition and say how can you test it well that's why is that any different from baptist tradition presbyterian tradition episcopalian tradition methodist lutheran pentecostal uh you know is it merely that trustworthy leaders passed it on to trustworthy leaders to trustworthy leaders is that why uh, and that's not what we believe in the Catholic Church. We believe it's because we trust that what our Lord said to his apostles is true, that the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, would be given to protect them, to guide them into truth. That is the reason we believe that this Bible is infallible and the Church. If we throw that out, there's nothing that's trustworthy. We rest, we rest our lives on believing that our Lord's promise was true, that he gave the Holy Spirit to guide the church. If you, as soon as you cast that out, you end up with the 30,000 or how many different Christian traditions, they don't like that, so they use the word denomination, uh, and spreading every day. And uh, it's because we trust that God is guiding his church, even in the midst of scandal. That's why we aren't looking for somewhere else. We trust that God continues to guide his church. Mike, thank you so much for joining us in Deep in Scripture, my friend. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be on. Glad to be good. here. It was a joy, and we'll have to have you back. And uh, I'm just curious, you got a website or anything that uh, people can connect to if they want to? No, no, okay. I'm not. Uh, you stay out of the blogosphere, then. I do stay out of the blogosphere, uh, so I'm not even on Facebook. <laughs> so. <laughs> You're blessed, then, I'm telling you. Well, 
Thanks, Mike. God bless you, my friend. Thank you, Marcus. Appreciate it. All right. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.